Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come this day to give you worship and praise, our covenant-making and our covenant-keeping God, uh, who established a relationship with us through revealing yourself to us and calling us to be your people. And even as we see the inauguration of your covenant with the people of Israel this day, help us keep in mind how you call us to be uh, your people and that we are to serve you and you alone, and that we are to worship you and you alone. Uh, teach us this day by your Holy Spirit as we study um, the people of Israel. Uh, help us be mindful of uh, the new Israel, your church, established by Jesus Christ, that uh, expands the people to not just one nation in particular, but all nations uh, in all places. Um, and we ask that you would help us be part of the extension of your kingdom by uh, holding fast to your word of truth and proclaiming that truth to others around us. Uh, may your spirit be with us this morning. Give us insight. May that spirit guide us into all truth as we discuss the words of the book of Exodus. Uh, guide us, we pray, in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, um, since it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've studied Exodus together, um, I thought I'd start um, by giving a little recap. And I think it's especially important as we begin this section because chapter 24, as we'll see in a little bit, um, returns to narrative. And we haven't had narrative in five chapters. <laughs> so to go back to, to sort of remind us where in the story we are, um, we've had this long section looking at laws and ordinances established for Israel, um, but uh, we need to, to think of the context in which those laws and ordinances were, were given. So way back in chapter 19 is when this um, portion of the story of Exodus um, started. Um, if you remember, chapter 19 is when Israel arrives and encamps in the wilderness around Sinai. Um, and there in, in chapter 19, God announces his intention to make them his covenant people. Um, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that's the, the kind of big purpose that's been established for this section we're looking at, that God is going to establish his covenant to make this his people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So then we saw that they uh, spent a couple of days um, being consecrated to prepare themselves for this encounter with God at Mount Sinai. Um, the mountain, you'll remember, um, was cloaked in smoke and fire like a kiln. The air shook with the sound of thunder and trumpets. And God spoke directly the words of the Ten Commandments. And afterwards, if you recall, the people were a little frightened by that, <laughs> as you can might imagine. And then told Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Um, reminding us to come in and to be in the presence of a holy God is a fearful thing for sinful people. So then, from, um, from that verse um, uh, forward, and the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel. And that's what we've had in chapters um, uh, 21, 22, 23, um, and up to 24, um, where we will start today, we've had this list of uh, laws and instructions. And if we were to kind of group them, principally those laws um, that we talked about a couple weeks ago, regulated how the people were to be set apart from the other nations in the ways that they worshiped God and God alone, and uh, to be set apart in the ways they treated one another, um, that they treated one another. We talked a lot about two weeks ago, particularly with um, a kind of social justice that was um, very unusual for that particular period. Um, so 
Um, after God finishes telling Moses what Moses is supposed to tell the people, all these laws and ordinances, now we get to chapter 24. So um, I've broken the section up into four short readings. So if I could get four volunteers to read. Um, so first, can I get somebody to read chapter 24, verses 1 through 8? Okay, Mike Lee has that. Um, chapter 24, 9 to 18. Ronnie? Um, Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9. 25, 1 through 9. Pat, I saw your hand up first. Uh, and then 25, 10 through 22. David. All right, so Mike, kick us off here.
All right, great. Thank you for all of your excellent reading. Um, so the focal point um, of this scene in chapter 24 is um, the formal covenant-making process of God's making this covenant with these 12 tribes of Israel. So what are some of the key components of this covenant-making ceremony that we see in chapter 24? Okay, so there's sacrifice, there's, uh, there's a lot of blood, <laughs> uh, and that blood is getting thrown around, um, good, um, we can come back to that in a little bit. So, so one, part of the ceremony is sacrifice and blood, good. What are some of the other components that we see of this covenant-making ceremony in chapter 24? Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, so they, they establish an altar, and we can kind of think of the altar there being this um, symbolic representation of, of God's party in the covenant. And then you have these 12 pillars, each to represent one of the tribes of Israel. So you've got two physical objects there that are representing the two parties of this covenant arrangement. Good, so we've got... Um, we've got uh, um, sacrifice and blood. We've got physical symbols in place. Yeah, so the people take an oath. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're saying all this uh, we will do. Um, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. So they are um, entering into this agreement by, by giving their assent. So as we think about a covenant, it's, it's something that has to be assented to. Um, it's not being unilaterally imposed. It's being something that um, they are, are entering into. Good. Um, I thought I saw another hand. Corey, you had your hand? Yeah, they read the book of the covenant. So, you know, um, we, they're assenting, but they're not just assenting to something amorphous. <laughs> You know, it's not like when my advisor called me and I, when once I realized he wasn't, like, after something, like, that I owed him. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I owed him something. I was like, sure, whatever you want. <laughs> and then he told me what he wanted me to do. And I was like, oh, I wish I <laughs> let him ask. And then, but I was just so relieved. But, yeah, they're not assenting to something unknown. They're, you know, they're read um, specifically what... Um, you know, what's, what's required of them. So, um, so in, in, in a covenant, it's got the stipulations. You know, these are what's going to require. Um, the benefits, you know, this is the benefits of obedience. And then this giving of assent. Good. Other things that stood out to you about this covenant-making ceremony? So we've got, you know, visual, uh, physical symbols present, but we also have words. Um, Calvin says... You know, this is a good model of what sacraments are, that you have signs, but the signs themselves are attached to words. Um, yeah, Bill. Yeah, we'll, we'll hold that one um, for just a second. Um, you know, but after the this covenant is entered into, you have this... Uh, yeah, celebration of a sort, of where these uh, elders get to enter into um, God's presence and they eat and drink. Um, so let's, uh, it's a mystery to me too. We'll, we'll hold the mystery for one now and let's, we'll deal with the, the covenant itself and then, uh, yeah, we'll figure out what's going on there, hopefully. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, there's the sacrifices are, are you know, they're killed, their blood is spilled, um, and then they're sacrificed. You know? And sacrifices in this uh, context are particularly sacrifices of thanksgiving. So the people acknowledging and, 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 and giving unto God um, in, in gracious 
acceptance of all that what God's done for them. I mean, again, if you think back to chapter 19, you know, all this covenant making is coming in response to God's deliverance of his people, God's calling his people, and now he's, he hasn't just saved them, he's now setting them apart to be his particular possession, and they are entering into this covenant with him. I mean, it's important to remember, um, you know, we, we've had all these laws, um, and laws are these kind of external regulations, um, but a covenant is a, a relationship, you know, it's, it is bonding two parties together. Um, o. Palmer Robinson, um, in his book, uh, Christ of the Covenants, uh, describes a covenant as a bond in blood. Um, you know, so it's, it's something which is why the, you, know, you have the physical element of blood here, because when you're making a covenant like this, you're saying, like these animals, let this happen to me if I violate this covenant. So it's the symbolic, you know, if I am the party that violates this relationship, let my blood be spilled. So it's, it's not just a lighthearted thing that's going on. Um, it is a serious relationship. And, and, and again, like we kind of, like sometimes we'll refer to the covenant of marriage. Like it's, it's more than just a legal document. It's establishing a relationship. Yeah, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, um, so there's, um, there's some, um, some people wonder um, if he's throwing it directly on the people themselves or if he's throwing it on these symbolic, these 12 pillars. So if it, again, and the 12 pillars are like, so just as he throws the blood on the altar, which is there to be the symbolic side of God. <laughs> um, that he's throwing it on the pillars, the symbolic representatives of people. So some people whether, wonder whether it's directly being thrown on them. Um, but yeah, uh, other people, he's throwing it directly on the people, and they are in their Sunday best. If you remember, they spent two whole days, <laughs> you know, uh, getting ready, um, putting on, um, you know, clean clothes, um, so not the stuff they've been marching through the through these deserts with, like they spend two whole days to get ready for this moment, and yet blood is being thrown on them. And um, like the practical side, yeah, I don't know what they do. <laughs> um, but the physical or the symbolic side, um, you know, I mean, what a, you know, being splashed with blood, like, I mean, you're, again, when they are giving assent to this, they're pledging, you know, let let our blood be shed, just as blood is on their, you know, being thrown on them. Let, let it be to us if we don't do all that we've pledged to do. Um, so, yeah, the, from a practical thing, I can't really say what they do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you were trying to get a good seat, but... Um, yeah, um, and again, I, I think it makes a lot of sense um, for people who say he's throwing it on the pillars because, you know, remember the people can't come near the mountain. They can't touch it. Um, you know, if somebody does touch it, the people have to kill that person without touching him. Um, so there's a little bit of distance between the people um, and, and, and the mountain where, where these things are taking place. Um, so, yeah, I don't know practically what they do with bloody clothes. Uh, but it could just, the important part is the symbolic aspect of it. Yes, sir. Is <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and they're good. I, I mean, I think you're right. That's why I'm like, you know, I don't, 
I, I understand both sides of the argument. Like it makes sense because he puts it on the, we see him putting it on the altar. You know, what are these 12 stones that are, or pillars erected there? Um, it makes sense that they would have the blood on them. But we know from other places, yeah, they're putting blood, actual blood on people. Um, you know, to think of um, when they make, on the Day of Atonement, like, you know, they, they kill one goat and put the blood on the other goat. Like, they really do put the blood on that goat. So, um, I think there's, you're absolutely right. They, you know, there are other places where we do people see people in their very nice <laughs> clothes, custom-made for that use, um, you know, beautifully designed, and then splattered with blood. Um, and uh, I think that's a, a, you know, again, it's, it's pictures. Like, you know, imagine, you know, you're, you're in your best. You're coming in your blessed, and you're having blood thrown on you because deep down your best isn't enough. <laughs> um, there has to be, a sh without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Like, you know, it's that kind of idea. And then the flip side, the New Testament taking that image, like through Christ's blood, you know, we're washed clean. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's a great picture of, of the work of Christ. Here, people are having blood thrown on them, and from our perspective, you know, it's, it's soiling their nice, clean clothes. But in the New Testament, it's through the blood that they're actually being cleansed. Um, uh, let's see. So good, yeah. So you've got um, in the ceremony, the altar's there to represent the glory of God while the pillars represent the tribes of Israel, and they're kind of laid out. The contracting parties are standing there facing each other. Um, and the three important parts of a covenant, um, the blood at the beginning and the end, um, in the middle, the reading from the document of the covenant, and then this uh, subsequent ascent of the people. Um, this is just um, it, it's just a weird thing that struck me. But something really significant happens as part of this covenant-making ceremony. Um, it's the first time that we're actually told this happens in the scriptures. Any guesses what that is? So something happens for the first time, at least the first time openly mentioned in scriptures. Um, uh, n not that. I mean, uh, yeah, we'll see that image later. That might be the first time, but it's not. We're playing the guess what's in the teacher's head game. So, so uh, you know, who's going to win? Yeah, Chris. Seeing God and living. Uh, yeah, that's another first, um, but not the one I'm thinking of. It's something, uh, let's see. It's something that we probably take for granted that we do all the time, um, or we benefit from all the time. Uh, church service, yeah, something a little more specific than that. Hmm? Reading, and what has to happen before we read it? Well, <laughs> even more than that. It's got to be written down. This is the first time... In the Bible, verse 4, this is the first time all the words that the, uh, you know, uh, I can't read. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. This is the first time we have someone that, that's said to be God spoke and someone wrote it down. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and again, it's something that's thrown in there that's easy to pass over, but... Um, why, um, and there have been covenants before this that, that we've seen in Genesis. So why this covenant, what, what's the purpose of making sure it's not just a, a covenant between God and man, but it's a written covenant? What's different about writing it down? It's less easy to sort it. Yeah, you can't say n none of this fuzzy, oh, I heard you say this. Like, you know, um, it's the difference between, like, giving someone a verbal order and 
I've been listening to this book on Gettysburg and like, you know, someone's given a verbal order and they basically interpret it the way they want to. Oh, I can go all the way to Gettysburg. <laughs> and it was the total opposite of what the commanding officer intended, but um, versus a written order, which, um, yeah, um, it gives a very different weight to it. There's, there's it's much, uh, there's less room, less wiggle room um, for that kind of, uh, uh, loose interpretation. Good. What else is significant about it being a written covenant? Yeah, words that provide remembrance and setting the pattern. Like, um, I mean, uh, you know, all y'all's answers about the first thing, you know, y'all are revealing what a dumb question my question was. Because there are lots of firsts in this chapter. Um, not just the writing down of, of scripture uh, or writing down the words of, of the Lord. Um, but this is establishing the, the principles for future generations to remember. Like, you know, for the people who aren't here, you know, um, they're going to hear about it and be able to do these things themselves. I mean, these laws, you know, aren't for this one generation that's going to die off, as we'll find out in the wilderness. Um, it's for all generations that's being given. Um, it's not just for them, but for their children and their children's children and their children's children. And um, it's there as a written testimony um, that, uh, that they'll be able to see and be guided by through all generations. Good. Uh, other things about significance of writing things down? I realize I'm privileging literacy, but <laughs> it's what I do. Um, uh, yeah, and to think that with this covenant, um, and to go with what Rob said, you know, like worship, this is the beginning of, of ordered worship, regulated worship, worship prior to this point, had been ad hoc. I mean, it's still a little ad hoc at this moment. Like, you might have noticed that um, uh, it's young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of the oxen to the Lord. Why is it young men? It's a hard job, yeah, <laughs> slaughtering oxen. Um, why else? I thought I heard somebody say it. Yes. Yeah, representatives of the people um, because they don't have, the Levites haven't been set apart. Like later, this is going to be the Levites and the House of Aaron's job. Um, but those roles haven't been assigned yet. They're going to be assigned in the coming chapters. So at this point, it's representatives of the people. Both elders and young men are standing forth behind on the part of the people to participate in the ceremony, um, but it, it doesn't yet have the kind of strict order to it that it will have, but it's going to have that strict order because it gets written down. Like it, it, People's jobs are going to be specified. Um, worship is going to not just take place on an ad hoc basis, it's going to be regular, and they're going to be... Um, and, you know, using that Latin root of regular, you know, by rule. You know, it's, there are going to be rules that govern and order worship. And we can have those because they're being written down. Yeah, it's, it's putting it, uh, it's capturing that essence. I like how, how you phrased it there. And it's putting it there, you know, that 
for people to see. Like again, uh, to sort of think of it, it's it's uh, you know it's there for people to see and be reminded of. In New England, churches often were established on the basis of a covenant, and the covenant would be would be hung in the church. Like so, people would sign their names to this document, you know, expressing obligations to one another, to hold one another accountable, to make you know, to order the purpose. They're there to worship, and we're going to commit ourselves to being part of this one body. And so, you know, on your way in, you would see this physical text that would tell you and remind you, you know, I have obligations. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing, like, uh, it's one thing to, again, like, agree to something, but it's another thing to have it, like, written down in your face that you've agreed to it. Um, well, good. Um, let's move on a little bit because there's obviously lots of things to uh, to cover here. So let's talk about um, what Bill raised here, um, verses nine and ten. Uh, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Yeah. Well, it says, um, he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Um, so, so clearly, um, yeah, it, there seems to be like, you know, all right, these people are, are in God's presence and he's not striking them down. And it, it goes to the point of saying he's not striking them down. Um, and so, yeah, why is it um, that at this moment, this group of, of men can come into the presence of God and not be killed. Um, and remember, like, you know, a couple chapters earlier, the people, not only are they, you know, terrified of God's presence, um, they're terrified hearing his, his voice. Like, you know, they want it to be as far away as they can unless they're struck down and die. And yet, because of this covenant, and I, I think the, the timing of it that this is right on the heels of, of this agreement. Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Um, they're coming into God's presence covered with blood, to go back to the point. Like, you know, if we take it that they actually have blood thrown on them, you know, it's they can be in God's presence because the blood of the sacrifice um, and, and the blood of this covenant sacrifice allows them to enter into that presence. Um, well, notice when we're told, what, what do they see? Or what are we described that they see? Well, no. Look at the description. They saw God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. So they're entering in the presence of God. They're being said they see the God of Israel, but the only thing that's described for us, and not even his feet, what's under his feet. Um, so, you know, yeah. So we don't have to, to be, you know, done in by this that they saw God, like, that that God has a body like a man that they would see him, you know, they, but they are coming into a visible presence of God, and the only thing they can describe about it is not anything about that God just <laughs> around him. And this is similar, like, at other visions of God, like, even when we get to Revelation, it's like they're describing all the stuff that goes around God. <laughs> they never just have a description of what the presence of God itself looked like. And I think that's true here, that I think it's really, they saw God, but the only description we're given is what's under his feet. Um, and I think that's instructive as we try to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, Bill. Right, and as 
we'll see Moses later on, you know, when, when he's shown, um, you know, has this encounter with God, you know, he's described as seeing like the tail end of his glory and his face um, is, you know, so shiny after that they have to veil it. Um, you know, it's, um, yeah, so what exactly they're seeing, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> they're seeing aspects of his glory. I think is a good way, as Bill just said it, is a good way to express it. Um, but what a, but I think to go back to what Teresa's first question, that is the, the, the important thing, that people who normally would be struck down in the presence of God at this moment can be in the presence of God and God doesn't lay a hand on them. And I would say, why? Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So that covenant blood allows them to be in the presence of God and have this celebration. You know, like, you know, not just there, but eating and drinking in this presence. Um, so again, it's this great picture of the, of the change that comes about because of God's merciful action toward humanity, that you know, these people of Israel um, have been made holy by God's covenant with them and by the sprinkling and shedding of blood. Um, and that's what is required to be in the presence of God. Um, yeah, Jay. Yep, that he is present in this covenant making. Um, and this is, again, it's um, this enormous turning point in Israel. They go from a people who are descendants of Abraham to being this distinct covenant people with God. Like, you know, as a, a nation of 12 tribes, They've entered into this um, defined relationship with God. Um, that, you know, we'll notice it still requires that internal heart change. Um, you know, we're about to notice how chapter 24 ends. Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. We're about to leave our narrative behind um, as, you know, versus the next seven chapters are going to be the instructions that God gives um, um, Moses for, you know, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, you know, priest vestments, who the priests are supposed to be, you know, the next seven chapters are all going to be about, you know, as Rob said, establishing the order for the worship of God. Um, and then when we come back to narrative, anybody knows what happens while, when Moses comes back? The golden calf. <laughs> so while he's on the mountain, <laughs> you know, they've assented, you know, entered into this agreement, um, had the blood thrown on them. Moses goes up in the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights, and in that length of time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a long time for Moses. It's a burning top of the mountain. Can he really survive that, and, you know? Again, that's for a couple, leave that for Matthew for a couple weeks from now. But, um, but you, know, uh, you know, it's a good reminder that there's still this internal change that's required, you know, um, uh, that, that needs to happen um, to, to um, make this external um, signs effective. There has to be this internal change of heart. Um, all right, anything else you're going to say on the covenant ceremony? Yes, Cynthia. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> and then, like, yeah, so they could have, I mean, again, like, I mean, be at this mountain, hear God, you know, trumpets, thunder, smoke, fire, you know, the whole show. <laughs> and then 40 days later, um, make uh, a golden calf and, and worship it, um, which, again, I don't want to get too far ahead, but... Um, but, you know, that's the next step in the narrative. So, um, which is a great reminder that, you know, there needs to be, this covenant alone isn't, or the covenant as it's stated here, isn't yet sufficient. There's got to be this expansion. All right, it's establishing a little more, you know, with each covenant. It's like uh, the way I just um, have heard covenants described to me. It's like a, a picture that the picture, parts of the picture are veiled. So like with the covenant of Abraham, you get to see this much of the picture. Um, and then, you know, with the Mosaic covenant, you get to see this much. And then the Davidic covenant, you get to see this much. And then the covenant that is unveiled with Christ, you get to see the whole picture. And so, you know, it's not that, you know, it's insufficient, um, but it's the shadow of what the substance is going to be, to use that image uh, or the language from, from Hebrews. Like, this is still shadow. Um, as, as real as a, a, it is, the substance, it's the, it's the depiction, it's the symbol picture of what the real, what really needs to be, happen in the person of Christ, shedding his blood once for all for us. You know, this perfect sacrifice, this perfect covering of blood that makes us clean um, and, and able to be in God's presence, not just for an, an afternoon, but for eternity. Um, anything else uh, for, I do want to spend a little time on chapter 25. Um, okay, uh, what about, um, so we get the start um, in chapter 25, um, we get the beginning, kind of the prologue to um, the construction of the sanctuary, and then um, we read the specific um, instructions for the ark. Um, yeah, what um, in the next seven chapters, again, are going to be unfolding what's laid out in verses 1 through 9. You know, like, you know, we're going to get all these contributions to make, you know, a whole bunch of things, uh, to make a place that's filled with a whole bunch of things, clothes to cover a whole bunch of priests, um, you know, all the things that are going to be needed for the worship of God. And that's going to be the next seven chapters. Um, but we're getting the kind of the prologue to it here. So, yeah, what strikes you about um, the um, beginning of creating the sanctuary or specifically the construction of the ark? <laughs> yeah, it, and um, I, I don't know if, like, uh, maybe yours has the note, um, uh, let's see, which one is it, goat skins, yours might have the note, uh, uncertain, <laughs> possibly dolphin skins or dugong skins, so like manatee skins or dolphin skins, so things from the Red Sea, um, uh, yeah, it, you get a sense of, they're in the wilderness, like, you know, where are they going to get all this stuff? Well, as Rob just said, they carried off a bunch of stuff from Egypt <laughs> um, uh, and a whole lot of valuable stuff. Um, uh, other things that, um, yeah, Teresa. Well, yeah, why, why does God, I mean, I, we can start. Why does God need a... Um, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Like, why do, why, not just complicated, why do they need it, need it at all? Um, so, yeah, what, what would you say? Yeah, Jay. Yeah, and, and, not, and not stuff that 
just anybody can do. Like it, you know, to jump ahead to chapter 31, we get Oholiabub and Bezalel, um, that he's given them uh, ability and intelligence, knowledge, all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood to work in every craft. So he's given people, I mean, a high degree of skill to create this, this complex thing. Yeah, but it, and I think you know with that that it's it's emphasizing that it's not a requirement to get like he could come like he just gave him a bunch of laws, <laughs> so like he's you know God's perfect yeah God's perfectly capable of compelling. <laughs> Yeah, that, that he is, it's there to, to teach them, to be this symbolic reminder that he dwells in their midst. It's not because he needs a house, and he needs a house with this kind of stuff in order to be comfortable or to in order to live. It's there for them. Yeah, and that, and that I, you know, when he says, you know, I am the temple, um, you know, like, you know, I am God in your midst, you know, I am, um, I am the true tabernacle that's come and, and dwells among you. Um, and, and for that language to make sense, you have to have this. And, I mean, again, for lots of ancient Near East people, or not just ancient Near East, for lots of people in the world, gods are often local. Like, the God of this place. Like, you know, and they've just come to this mountain, um, and they've worshipped God. And so, you know, when we see them in a few chapters, or, you know, later in the book, when they're departing and going somewhere else, you know, it's the temptation is for them to think, yeah, we left God back there. Like, yeah, we saw him, had the nice thing, and now we're gone. And, like, and, you know, this God, no, this God is going with them, and they have to have visual reminders um, that God is present among them. And, they, and part of that is by having um, sanctified stuff, like the idea of sanctuary here is set apart. Like, yep, it's in the center of camp. They're, the instructions we'll see for how they camp, every tribe is going to be able to kind of see it um, you know, like there's no obstructed view seating. It's not like the uh, Benjamites get the obstructed view seat. <laughs> like everybody, you know, is, is going to camp in a particular place um, in relationship to that tabernacle. Um, it is going to be the center of their existence. And it, what a great picture of God dwelling in their midst. Like this people, they've just been called, you know, again, to go back to, I keep going back to James Glover's favorite verse, um, <laughs> you know, a kingdom of priests, um, and he, he's calling a holy nation to himself, and he himself will be in their midst. Everywhere they go, he'll go. You know, he's giving instructions for a portable temple. Well, yeah, <laughs> but they can't flee from his presence. Like, you know, he's, he's going to be there. Yeah, it's, and it's about, uh, well, it's about their relationship. Like, you know, that they are a special people because that God dwells among them. 
And it's not just any God, it's the God. And, you know, what's different, um, you know, because lots of, of their neighbors have religious symbols to, to symbolize the presence of God. What's different is they can't make a symbol directly of him. Like, you know, um, lots of, lots of uh, other um, people have found other covenants, and we might call them even arcs of covenants, that have testimony or a covenant agreement in them, and it's in the, uh, a footstool of a depiction of a deity. But in this case, we have the footstool, the ark, no deity <laughs> image, because, you know, they can't do that. Um, so, uh, you know, they can't, you know, go back to, you know, you can't make an image of God. Um, but they, they still need some kind of visible sign of God's presence. And we still have visible signs. I mean, we'll, we'll have one up here, um, you know, as we worship, this visible sign because we're human. We need those things. You know, as Jay said earlier, we need these tangible things to help us to remember because we forget, you know, our, our hearts wander. Um, you know, and it's God's graciousness to us to give us this rich symbolic picture to help us understand the work of this coming Christ and, and to remember what he's done for us. Um, and in this case, often to go back to Teresa's things, we go from complex set of symbols to a very simple one, bread and wine. Um, bread, a body broken for you. Wine, blood poured out for you. Like, you know, um, but it's establishing, um, you know, this rich symbolic imagery, and it's complex, partly to help us understand um, the, the distance between man and God, um, that this is stuff that's been set apart. Um, they're not giving just their cheap stuff, they're giving their best um, to create this place that's not for their use. Like, you know, again, kind of, they're making something that the majority of them will never enter in, stuff they'll never see used because it's being used behind the, these heavy, thick curtains. Um, that, but they're going to, you know, know it's there. Um, and they're going to know what's going on in those places. Um, and it's there to, you know, establish this symbolic language for us to understand the work of Christ for us. Yeah, uh, even, um, uh, well, as Presbyterians, our favorite language for what we do is we're guided by the regulative principle of worship. <laughs> um, that, you know, worship isn't something that we, well, let's see, I'm going to come up with a new way to worship God. No. <laughs> we worship according to the pattern God set forward to us. Yes. <laughs> They moved. So we're auditioning for a trumpet player. Is that what you're... Yeah, uh, you know, and again, it's like, uh, I, I like the picture. Again, it's not original me, it's to somebody else. I can't, it might have been Palmer Robertson who, like, it's like, you know, it's setting things in place. And we, you know, they don't know the whole picture yet, but they are getting more than the generations before them had. Um, and it's, it's going to, what they're doing, uh, this complex stuff is going to make more sense when we have, Christ, you know, then it, you know, that's what the book of Hebrews is to do. All this sacrifice stuff, all these complex things are all there to point us, they're just shadows, you know, to point us to the substance, the reality, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, 
So, uh, let's see, we're, we're at time and there's some, that's the problem with doing these big sections, like we could talk about this forever, um, but we can't talk about this forever because we gotta go get a snack before we worship. Um, or I might pass out, no. Um, but, uh, you know, the big takeaway again is to, to get this, this covenant relationship that's established and it's establishing patterns for the life of Israel. Um, you know, it's all these laws that have been given prior to this, you know, are, are on the basis of this covenant relationship and all this worship that's going to be described. And these coming chapters are all founded on the basis of this relationship that's been established um, and to cement the fact that this is their God and they are his particular special people. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's there to ultimately for us to see the links to which God is going to do to create this eternal covenant, not just an external one, but an eternal one um, through his son, Jesus Christ. So let me close our time again in prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you for um, your love toward us, how you've revealed yourself to us. Um, by your word, um, and that we can have access to words you spoke long ago because people wrote them down. Um, and we have that testimony um, of your love and goodness toward your people um, from generations past. And that testimony stands uh, not just for us, but for generations future as well until our uh, King, Jesus Christ, uh, returns again. Uh, help us uh, this day to worship you with joyful hearts, um, rem uh, even though we're not um, physically sprinkled with blood, um, we know that we can gather in your midst and worship you because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ that's cleansed us from all unrighteousness and allows um, a formerly sinful people to be in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, um, that you don't see us uh, as our sinful selves. You see us as people washed clean by the blood of our perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So we pray, um, even as we uh, think, continue to think about uh, this covenant you establish with these 12 tribes of Israel, um, help us to celebrate the covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ, who we worship now, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.